Day 6 of Totus Tuus' Novena for Christmas With quotes from Pope Benedict XVI's encyclical Deus Caritas Est If you see charity, you see the Trinity, wrote St. Augustine. In the foregoing reflections, we have been able to focus our attention on the pierced one, recognizing the plan of the Father who, moved by love, sent his only begotten Son into the world to redeem man. By dying on the cross, as St. John tells us, Jesus gave up his spirit, anticipating the gift of the Holy Spirit that he would make after his resurrection. This was to fulfill the promise of rivers of living water that would flow out of the hearts of believers through the outpouring of the Spirit. The Spirit, in fact, is that interior power which harmonizes their hearts with Christ's heart and moves them to love their brethren as Christ loved them when he bent down to wash the feet of the disciples and, above all, when he gave his life for us. The Spirit is also the energy which transforms the heart of the ecclesial community so that it becomes a witness before the world to the love of the Father, who wishes to make humanity a single family in his Son. The entire activity of the Church is an expression of a love that seeks the integral good of man. It seeks his evangelization through word and sacrament, an undertaking that is often heroic in the way it is acted out in history and it seeks to promote man in the various arenas of life and human activity. Love is therefore the service that the Church carries out in order to attend constantly to man's sufferings and his needs, including material needs. The Church's deepest nature is expressed in her threefold responsibility of proclaiming the Word of God, celebrating the sacraments, and exercising the ministry of charity. These duties presuppose each other and are inseparable. For the Church, charity is not a kind of welfare activity which could equally well be left to others, but is a part of her nature, an indispensable expression of her very being. The Church is God's family in the world, in this family, no one ought to go without the necessities of life. Yet at the same time, caritas, agape, extends beyond the frontiers of the Church. The parable of the Good Samaritan remains as a standard which imposes universal love towards the needy whom we encounter, by chance, whoever they may be. Without in any way detracting from this commandment of universal love, the Church also has a specific responsibility. Within the ecclesial family, no member should suffer through being in need. The teaching of the letter to the Galatians is emphatic. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Love Caritas will always prove necessary 
even in the most just society. There is no ordering of the state so just that it can eliminate the need for a service of love. Whoever wants to eliminate love is preparing to eliminate man as such. There will always be suffering which cries out for consolation and help. There will always be loneliness. There will always be situations of material need where help in the form of concrete love of neighbor is indispensable. The state which would provide everything, absorbing everything into itself, would ultimately become a mere bureaucracy incapable of guaranteeing the very thing which the suffering person, every person, needs, namely loving personal concern. We do not need a state which regulates and controls everything, but a state which, in accordance with the principle of subsidiarity, generously acknowledges and supports initiatives arising from the different social forces and combines spontaneity with closeness to those in need. The Church is one of those living forces. She is alive with the love enkindled by the Spirit of Christ. This love does not simply offer people material help, but refreshment and care for their souls, something which often is even more necessary than material support. In the end, the claim that just social structures would make works of charity superfluous masks a materialist conception of man, the mistaken notion that man can live by bread alone, a conviction that demeans man and ultimately disregards all that is specifically human. Following the example given in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Christian charity is first of all the simple response to immediate needs and specific situations. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, caring for and healing the sick, visiting those in prison, etc. The Church's charitable organizations ought to do everything in their power to provide the resources and above all the personnel needed for this work. Individuals who care for those in need must first be professionally competent. They should be properly trained in what to do and how to do it and committed to continuing care. Yet, while professional competence is a primary fundamental requirement, it is not of itself sufficient. We are dealing with human beings and human beings always need something more than technically proper help. They need humanity. They need heartfelt concern. Those who work for the Church's charitable organizations must be distinguished by the fact that they do not merely meet the needs of the moment, but they dedicate themselves to others with heartfelt concern, enabling them to experience the richness of their humanity. Consequently, in addition to their necessary professional training, these charity workers need a formation of the heart. They need to be led to that encounter with God in Christ, which awakens their love and opens their spirits to others. As a result, love of neighbor will no longer be for them a commandment imposed, so to speak, from without, but a consequence deriving from their faith, a faith which becomes active through love. Christian charitable activity must be independent of parties and ideologies. It is not a means of changing the world ideologically, and it is not at the service of worldly stratagems. 
but it is a way of making present, here and now, the love which man always needs. The modern age, particularly from the 19th century on, has been dominated by various versions of a philosophy of progress, whose most radical form is Marxism. Part of Marx's strategy is the theory of impoverishment. In a situation of unjust power, it is claimed, anyone who engages in charitable initiatives is actually serving that unjust system, making it appear at least to some extent tolerable. This in turn slows down a potential revolution and thus blocks the struggle for a better world. Seen in this way, charity is rejected and attacked as a means of preserving the status quo. What we have here, though, is really an inhuman philosophy. People of the present are sacrificed to the Moloch of the future, a future whose effective realization is at best doubtful. One does not make the world more human by refusing to act humanely here and now. We contribute to a better world only by personally doing good now, with full commitment and wherever we have the opportunity, independent of partisan strategies and programs. The Christian's program, the program of the Good Samaritan, the program of Jesus, is a heart which sees. This heart sees where love is needed and acts accordingly. Obviously, when charitable activity is carried out by the church as a communitarian initiative, the spontaneity of individuals must be combined with planning, foresight and cooperation with other similar institutions. Charity, furthermore, cannot be used as a means of engaging in what is nowadays considered proselytism. Love is free. It is not practiced as a way of achieving other ends. But this does not mean that charitable activity must somehow leave God and Christ aside, for it is always concerned with a whole man. Often the deepest cause of suffering is the very absence of God. Those who practice charity in the Church's name will never seek to impose the Church's faith upon others. They realize that a pure and generous love is the best witness to the God in whom we believe and by whom we are driven to love. A Christian knows when it is time to speak of God and when it is better to say nothing and to let love alone speak. He knows that God is love and that God's presence is felt at the very time when the only thing we do is to love. He knows, to return to the questions raised earlier, that disdain for love is disdain for God and man alike. It is an attempt to do without God. Consequently, the best defense of God and man consists precisely in love. It is the responsibility of the Church's charitable organizations to reinforce this awareness in their members, so that by their activity, as well as their words, their silence, their example, they may be credible witnesses to Christ. Let us pray. Holy Mary, Mother of God, you have given the world its true light. Jesus, your Son, the Son of God, you abandoned yourself completely to God's call and thus became a wellspring of the goodness which flows forth from him. Show us, Jesus. 
Lead us to him. Teach us to know and love him, so that we too can become capable of true love and be fountains of living water in the midst of a thirsting world. Amen.